0: Welcome to the HPW Insight podcast, in which myself, David Ridley, Senior Editor, and Tom Gallon, Managing Editor, discuss the week's European consumer healthcare industry news.
1: So Dave, what have you been writing about in HPW Insight this week?
0: So uh, one story that I published was on uh, prebiotics and probiotics in the European Union. So there's been quite a bit of movement on the Um, the market in terms of regulation and whether or not, you know, you can put um, a food supplement on the market with the term probiotic or prebiotic on the label, which is currently not allowed um, at a a pan-European level. So this is a massive multi-billion dollar market now um, in the region. Um, And the, the issue is really that the standard kind of definitions of probiotic and prebiotic include a health claim um, in the definition itself so for example the world health organization definition is uh, a, of a probiotic is a live microorganism which when administ- administered in adequate amounts uh, confer a health benefit on the host so as you can see the end bit where it says confer a health benefit for the for the european regulate regulator, specifically EFSA um, means that it's got, it contains a health claim and it's not been allowed. So technically you can't um, put that on on the packaging. However, more and more countries are now allowing the terms probiotic and prebiotic on the label and Italy even allows um, that and a health claim as well.
1: So, does that mean countries are diverging from what EFSA is saying then? Is is that what you, does that sort of describe what's going
0: on? People are, countries are ignoring the uh, recommendations? Um, Yeah, sort of. It's complicated as as with all these sort of things. Essentially what's happening is that um, some countries are using a kind of neutral um definition so they're they're using a generic they're allowing a generic descriptor so basically you know of a probiotic or a prebiotic without the health claim and so um, this allows them to to kind of get around the regulation because technically they're not using a health claim um, if they use you know probiotic and prebiotic on the label so it's still it's not, the, the general use of probiotic is not allowed um, and they still don't allow a health claim apart from Italy. Um, and, and this is how they, they they can kind of move forward on the regulation. The reason why they're doing that is because within a single market, consumers are able to buy probiotics with probiotic or prebiotics on the label. Um, and for example, if they buy it from Italy, so Spain, um, you can buy on the internet A product from Italy which has prebiotic or probiotic on the label and a health claim on it and the language is is not uh, you know is similar enough that you can easily understand this and so essentially you know they're able to buy um, products that aren't allowed so what so what Spain has done has decided to allow you know these generic labels so that it can at least make sure that the products that are being sold in Spain are safe um, and and that is the kind of pragmatic approach that they've taken.
1: So that's one interesting topic that you've had a look at this week, probiotics. You've also been looking at the growing CBD market, specifically in the UK. There's been some regulatory changes that you've highlighted this week.
0: Yeah, so that's another big ingredient in the wellness, you know, stroke food supplement space. And as readers who have been following our uh, wellness content will know we've covered CBD uh, a lot in in the UK and Europe where you know the regulatory landscape has been dynamic not always clear uh, quite interesting to write about so the UK has taken the approach of following the novel food um, the novel food route following uh, the European Union but now is separate you know after brexit um, is doing its own thing but it's still carrying on with that framework and it's it's had this deadline of 31st of March 2020 so the end of this month for uh, products on the UK market to be linked to a validated novel food a- application uh, submitted to F- FSA before the end of this month um, but really at the last minute, has changed this slightly, so it's now allowing any product linked to an application. So not necessarily validated, but just an application submitted for a product that's currently on the market um, can stay on the market after the thirty first of March. And also, there's the really important, um, there's the really important additional thing that they have to have been on the market already when EFSA announced. Um, announced this policy last February.
1: So why has the FSA made this last-minute change then?
0: Well, it's not entirely transparent, but I think I think that it's a combination of having a lot of applications um, quite late on, even though you know companies have had a long time to submit. Um, I mean, we don't know how many applications there are, we don't know when they were submitted, Um, but the FSA comments on this suggest that, you know, they've had a lot and that maybe they haven't got the capacity capacity to process all of those applications. I mean, the thing is with the timing is they couldn't really do anything until the UK was out of the European Union, because before that point, you know, it was all, it would all be dealt with via um, Euro- European Food Safety Authority. So it had to wait until the beginning of this, this year before it could do anything in, with applications. So that you know that's only what's that four months, and then uh, there's all this other work to do with Brexit. You know, it's a general food regulator in the country, so it's all this other work that it has to do. So where CBD was, you know, in the in that hierarchy of uh, of work. We also don't know. But I think also uh, maybe there are worries about enforcement. There's definitely been worries about enforcement from uh, industry and from the experts we've spoken to, where there's some, I don't know what you could say, maybe scepticism as to whether the local trading standards um, offices and officers who are tasked with basically enforcing these novel food regulations Will be ready to kind of deal with, like you know, the the products in their area on the market, you know, in the retail stores, in their constituencies, or the companies that are operating there, um, to sort out which companies, which products are compliant and which aren't, and you know, taking whatever action it would be in order to. To, make, to move non-compliant products to compliance or take them off the market. You know, these are all still open questions. So, yeah, it's it's a complicated situation, I think. And I think it's important to stress, and, and you know, a lot of people I've spoken to have stressed this, that the FSA are trying to, to take, a, I think, trying to take, again, a pragmatic approach, because they don't want to destroy a market, which is now very big. Um, and consumers really want to be able to buy CBD products, and are used to being able to buy them. And so it's trying to find a middle ground between allowing products to stay on the market as long as they can show that they're safe, um, and you know that they do what they say they do in terms of, well, they have what they say they have in them in terms of the CBD levels and not having, um, You know, any dangerous kind of side products or chemicals in there, or THC more importantly. Um, So it's trying, but I think it's very difficult because essentially the market just blew up and already exists. So they're kind of regulating backwards in a sense.
1: Yeah, but it sounds like from industry's point of view, for now at least, you know, this is a positive development because potentially you know in a few as you said that with that 31st March deadline could have had a lot of companies you know in this kind of um, uh, potentially having products on shelves that weren't legally allowed to be there Mm. whereas now you know we're going to have I assume you know far more um, of the companies will be kind of covered by these new requirements meaning that you won't see you know mass emptying of CBD products from shelves.
0: Exactly yeah it definitely gives industry um, a bit more time. So yeah as I mentioned you also wrote about CBD this week and you wrote about um, the cons- one of the consortia.
1: Yeah that's right.
0: That have managed to get validated um, validated novel food applications in. Yeah they're not,
1: not quite got to the validation stage yet but They've had their um, the two applications they've submitted for full spectrum and uh, natural isolate hemp CBD products. Um, Those applications have been uh, considered by the FSA to be compliant with administrative requirements, Mm -hmm. which is like the first step, as I think as we as we understand it and full validation will follow and those are applications as you say from a consortium and that's consortium uh, created by the European Industrial Hemp Association um, and we wrote about their plan to set up this consortium um, last year to and that the plan was you know to kind of pull resources because of the costs of you know not only the applications but also um, performing you know, getting the data, toxicology data required and performing the studies.
0: Mm.
1: So they've said, you know, basically it's, it's kind of, it's, you know, the, the members of the consortium, which I believe sort of number over 180, kind of breathing a bit of a sigh of relief because obviously they have now got this kind of first, got, go over this first hurdle with um, the FSA so they can keep their products on the market for the time being. Mm. So, um, the has now said that they're preparing to launch, um, you know, a full sort of study, including 200 participants, to determine safe consumption levels of um, naturally occurring traces of THC in in uh, hemp CBD supplements, and they're actually, that's going to cost them. Um, 1.6 million euros, so as you can see, a significant investment. Um, but as, you know, as I mentioned, they've, they've pulled the resources on that, so it means that, you know, all of the products in those two applications, you know, will, once the application is validated, you know, and using that study, um, they will all be able to, you know, remain on the market.
0: So, you also wrote about um, GSK sustainability strategy, which we've spoken about on this podcast before, and I've written about. Um, do you want to tell me about that?
1: Yeah, this was a interesting development, as you say, kind of in line with what we already knew about GSK and what they have been doing um, with sustainability in mind. Because um, I think it was last, end of last year, they set out these sort of sustainability targets for across the whole company and then also um kind of gave a few uh, targets specifically for consumer health products um one of the kind of standout ones being um setting the target for all of their consumer packaging to be recyclable recyclable or reusable um where quality and safety permits by 2025 so the story I've um, written regarding this is the fact that GSK has joined this consortium set up by a company called PolPex, which is a sustainable packaging technology company, which is actually which has actually been established by a venture management firm and spirits producer Diego. And GSK has joined this consortium alongside other consumer good multinationals, Unilever and PepsiCo, and um, Polpec set up the consortium and invited these, you know, large multinationals to join to test out their packaging technology, which they describe as a first of its kind scalable paper bottle that is 100% PET free. So what GSK have said is they're going to Um, kind of explore the technology, see how it will work and do some, you know, kind of design and pilots around three brands in the consumer portfolio, which is the Centrum Centrum Multivitamins, Sensodyne oral Care Products and Paradontax Gum Care Products. So, Centrum and and Sensodyne particularly, I mean, these are, you know, some of GSK's biggest brands. Mm. I think Sensodyne has been one of their sort of fastest growing brands for the past few years now. And Centrum, obviously, they picked up when they um, created the joint venture with Pfizer. So, you know, it's really it's not sort of um, kind of small tail brands. These are like major global brands. Um, So, you know, that would, uh, you know, imagine if they could make that, you know, use the Pulpex technology, you know, that would go, you know, a significant way um, to, you know, meeting that 2025 uh, target. That's all for this
0: week. Tune in next time for more analysis of recent consumer healthcare industry news. Don't forget to sign up for our daily news alert to get the latest HPW insight stories straight into your inbox. Take care. See you next week.